Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Pats Cast. As always, I'm your host, Stephen Newman, and today I'll be discussing the Miami Dolphins in some depth. Um, just what they are as a team on offense and defense. Really dig into their uh, their schemes on both sides of the ball, as well as their personnel. Just t- generally what they what they like to do. The players you could see featured in the game in in whatever roles, and I will also tie in some ties that the Dolphins have to the Patriots because um, they're. They're they're somewhat obvious, uh, just because. Obviously, the Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, a longtime Patriots assistant, now in his second year there, um, he he he's stolen guys from the Patriots, frankly, uh, both on the coaching staff as well as just um, along his roster, particularly on defense. So I will get into that. That's really going to be the only connection. I'm going to make to the Patriots in this episode, though, just as fair warning. It's going to be pretty heavy Miami Dolphins, which uh, do with that what you will. I think I think it's really insightful just to know what uh, the Patriots are going up against on Sunday. But if you're looking for uh, anything on the Patriots and players that you may be more familiar with just because you're a Patriots fan, that's not what this episode's going to be. Uh, just thought I'd give you that caveat, but uh, fair and fair warning. But looking at the Dolphins specifically, like I said, Brian Flores is in his second year as their head coach. Uh, if you recall, they started last year, his first year there, zero and seven. It was a pretty, it was a great roster. That's it, the the best way to put it. Uh, and a lot of the process then was they were already kind of bad. He, uh, not intentionally, but wound up almost making them a little worse just because of roster moves that he was he was making. And it wasn't for the purpose of tanking. It was for the purpose of establishing a culture, really. And if certain guys didn't fit, he was sending them out. And he was going to get guys that, that he liked experience on the field uh regardless of what it did in terms of immediate wins and losses so like i said they started the season 0 and 7 uh down the stretch they actually won 5 of their last 9 games including the season finale against the patriots um if you recall that game it took a game winning a long touchdown drive uh, featured pretty heavily Ryan Fitzpatrick to Devontae Parker, uh, as I recall. Um, so they were they obviously ended the season on a high note, and they really carried that over into this season. They're eight and five to start this year, and they actually were eight and four headed into uh, Sunday against the Chiefs. And although they did fall behind in that game, uh, even uh, entering the fourth quarter, they they were they had a pretty significant deficit. They fought back. It's a really resilient team. And that's that's really what you should come to expect with Brian Flores. If you, if you know much about his, about his upbringing, um, he's he's he had to fight for everything he's gotten. Uh, that's without going into all the details. It's uh, he hasn't had it easy, and that. That's that's reflected in in his coaching style and in the the team and personnel he has out on the field. They even the guys that are really talented, not, nothing's just handed to them. They got they still have to work. Um, and there are a lot of underdog type guys on this team that have stepped up. Um, so, and that's part of why too. I thought it was really important to to uh, give some insight into what the Dolphins are because a lot of the guys on this team that play big roles, you might not necessarily know. Um, they're, they're not all household names. There, there are some guys that certainly are, but uh, there, there are other guys that, that you probably don't know a lot about. 
Um, so just just going top to bottom though with the team, uh, obviously I've already touched on the the basics of Brian Flores uh, being a, an old Patriots assistant, all of that. Um, we'll start on offense really. Um, their new offensive coordinator this year is Chan Gailey, longtime coach in the league. He'd actually been retired for a couple years and came back uh, in part because, frankly, I, I think the the appeal of the, the Dolphins likely drafting Tua Tungavailoa, which they did wind up doing, uh, they they took a little roundabout way to to get in there throughout the season. They wound up winning more games than you probably expected, but things kind of played out in their favor with Tua getting hurt last year at Alabama, and he winds up being on the board with the fifth overall pick. They take him, and that, that's that's what Chan Gailey came for. He did also though have ties to Ryan Fitzpatrick, who started the season as their starting quarterback. Uh, they had. Um, Fitzpatrick had been the starting quarterback under Gailey back with the Bills uh, quite a few years ago now. So it, it's um, a little dated, but there there's clearly chemistry there during that time. So it, it was kind of the perfect spot for him where he could have Fitzpatrick, who again had experience with him, and, he, and off to the side he could groom a, a potential star franchise quarterback in, in Tua Tagovailoa. And yeah, it's, it's just a really, uh, it's the perfect spot for a guy like him. Um, plus he just, I get the sense that he really just enjoys the player development side of things. Uh, just kind of looking back at his resume and the types of guys that he's coached. That seems to be a, a trend, but so uh, with that, obviously they they started Fitzpatrick early in the year, and it wasn't till around their bye week mid season that they made the move to Tua, and in fact they actually briefly went back from Tua to Fitzpatrick, but uh, that was partially due to an injury uh, that Tua had, or at least uh, fear of injury because like I said he did have injury an injury a major injury at Alabama last year so there there's always some fear with that so they did go back to Fitzpatrick briefly they're back with Tua now and uh it looks like Tua is here to stay as their starter um I honestly hadn't been all that impressed with Tua uh, early in his time, uh, granted, there there's always uh, a grace period for for um, rookie quarterbacks. Uh, just there's only so much you can expect right out of the gate, so, and I got that. A lot of it was uh, it, it was unfair to compare him to Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, because they were doing things that rookie quarterbacks just don't normally do. Um, that said, last week, particularly like the second half, I would probably say. He looked. He definitely looked like a starting quarterback, and he looked like uh, he has certainly has the makings of an above-average starting quarterback. Um, I mean, there it, obviously it's it's never going to be squeaky clean with a rookie, uh, almost never. But uh, he definitely looked like he'd shown progression. Um, and if you actually look at the the article that I've written to accompany this podcast, which I'll, I'll plug later as well. But I do have a video of some highlights from that game, if, if you're interested in seeing that. But, so that's where they're at. Tua's obviously the starting quarterback. One of the things, too, that it's, it's, it makes uh, Tua and Chan Gailey a really good match is just uh, where um, Gailey, Gailey's optimal offense really... Uh, plays to Tua's strengths uh, between a lot of crossing routes and downfield throws near the hashes. That's really what Alabama's offense was with Tua when he was there. Um, so it, it it kind of washes away. If there, if there really were any worries about Tua as a player, is probably that uh, he was 
you could have argued that he is a product of the Alabama offense. Could that really translate to a different system in the NFL? He's basically, he's in a pretty similar system. So, you know, that's still in play. He, he can still be really productive because it's a system, again, that he's familiar with. Um, yeah, and last week, just to, to put a bow on, on Tua, because I don't want to spend this entire episode on Tua for sure, um, he was 28 of 48 for 316 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Uh, he was sacked four times. It wasn't a great game. It was a mixed bag, but he, he did definitely have his moments. And Kansas City's defense is pretty good, too. So uh, it, it's not as if he struggled against a defense that wasn't borderline elite. Um, so it was a good game. It's the bottom line. And a a good test uh, preparing for the Patriots as well because the Patriots' defense has been solid lately, too. But, okay, so moving on from Tua, because, again, I, I, need, I need to get off Tua, but... Uh, we'll get, let's go to wide receivers. Uh, there's a, a lot of actually unknown, honestly, coming into this game because th- there are some injuries that they have. Devontae Parker is dealing with a hamstring strain. Uh, he may or may not be able to play. Uh, it's not really known at this point. He's definitely their number one receiver. Although he actually seems to be a guy that Tua hasn't developed great chemistry with. Uh, he's the best guy, so that's something that they're going to work on developing for sure. Like, it's not a matter of someone's going to jump ahead of Parker. Parker's going to be the number one. Um, Their number two receiver, Preston Williams, is on IR, and I've seen no indications that he's coming off IR, certainly this week, and I'm not sure uh, for the rest of the season. Uh, Jakeem Grant, is he also suffered in, an injury last week. And uh, all signs point to him not playing in this game. Uh, he's a little bit of a a speed slot receiver type. He's also their kick and punt returner, so that'll come into play there as well. But so one of those quick guys, typically in the slot, he's not really going to play. Uh, so like I said, uh, no Grant, no Williams, uh, potentially no Parker that really pushes them down their depth chart. Uh, they have to start digging for a guy. They're, it's kind of unknown what they would do. Um, I would imagine that, well, if Parker doesn't play in particular, they're going to have to play Matt Collins, who's bounced around the league a little bit. I know he was initially with the Eagles. He didn't really fit there for whatever reason. I've always thought he was decent, to be honest, but he didn't fit there. He He's landed in Miami, and last week with Parker pretty much sidelined for the bulk of that game. Uh, Hollins did come up with five catches. Uh, he was tied with someone else I'm going to get to in a second for the most targets in that game through the air. Um yeah, five catches for 66 yards. So he's certainly going to play a big role if Parker, as well as those other guys, can't play. Um, there's a chance that Antonio Callaway, who also has bounced around the league, uh, more of a downfield threat, more vertical threat than Hollins. Although Hollins can can get downfield too, but Hollins is bigger. Um uh, Callaway could come into play as well. He he played a, a pretty, um, I wouldn't say a prominent role last week, but he was he was certainly in their in their main rotation of wide receivers. Um, I don't know exactly what to think about Lynn Bowden Jr. and Malcolm Perry. Uh, I know they're gonna factor into the offense. I can't entirely figure out their position really uh they're listed so first of all in college they were quarterbacks um granted they were mobile quarterbacks and guys that you knew weren't gonna stick at quarterback uh Bowden actually played numerous positions running back uh wide receiver he was a kicker turner as well at Kentucky 
And I know a lot about him because his last game of college was in a bowl game against my Virginia Tech Hokies, and he had himself a field day. So I've I've seen Lynn Bowden. I I know what he can do. What he what his skill set as a player is. Uh, you got to be careful with him. And he actually led the team last week in receptions with seven for eighty two yards. Um, so obviously that points to him as a pass catcher. Uh, he also had a carry in that game, and. Um, it's hard to say. I think they kind of view him as an offensive weapon that they'll just move around. Obviously, if they're light at wide receiver, I think that's just where he'll play. Uh, yeah, there's not a huge need for him at running back. Maybe as a third down back. Uh, maybe you can throw him out of the backfield in that situation. But I think wide receiver is probably the spot if they're as shorthanded as it looks like they could be. Uh, Malcolm Perry... It's 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 a fairly similar situation. I, I it seems like he falls behind Bowden in the pecking order, but just in terms of what they are as players, just stylistically, it's really the same thing. And they both could factor into the kick return game as well. Um, but so that's a a look at them. They did also sign Isaiah Ford, who. If you recall, I, I talked about uh, on numerous occasions uh, when the Patriots traded for him from the Dolphins uh, at the trade deadline. Uh, and I mentioned that they wound up releasing him. Uh, he wound up going back to the Dolphins onto their practice squad. I, I never really touched on it. I think the Dolphins got really lucky and the Patriots really dropped the ball because I think they still have to give up a draft pick, a late draft pick, but a draft pick nonetheless to the Dolphins from that trade. And the Dolphins didn't really lose anything. They essentially did what they wanted to do, which was, at that time anyway, get Ford off their active roster to clear up space for a different type of receiver because back at that time, Devontae Parker was healthy. Preston Williams was also healthy. Uh, Isaiah Ford was really similar to them stylistically, and they needed a speed guy, so they they got rid of Ford. Um, Now, uh, with Williams out, Parker potentially not even able to play, there's a good chance Isaiah Ford could even wind up being elevated off the practice squad for this game just because they need that type of player. He might not. Uh, they didn't do it last week, although that was partly because they just got him back and uh, they needed to get him back up to speed again. But there's a chance that they do it this week. Um, yeah, I don't necessarily know. It's not a guy that Tua necessarily has a bunch of chemistry with because they weren't teammates for that long. And even when they were, Ford was generally running with the first team offense and Tua wasn't. So I don't know I don't know what to make of that yet. I just want to point out that one he's back and two he could factor back into their offense. Uh, Skip to tight end. Uh, the lead guy is definitely Mike Gesicki. Um, generally speaking, the Dolphins don't really like to use multiple tight ends because uh, just their offense in general. Gailey tends to. He he prefers to put wide receivers out on the field. He's going to function a lot with uh, whether it's one back, one tight end, sometimes one back, no tight ends, or one tight end, no running backs. Uh, but he likes to get wide receivers on the field. He likes to feature those guys when he can. Um, so like I said, generally they're only going to run one tight end on the field. And they're good enough at tight end that they are really going to have a tight end on the field at all times. There are situations in his past where that hasn't always been true for Gailey. In this case, it is. Gasicki's going to be on the field a lot. Um, and if not him, another tight end. Uh, they've shifted a little bit more towards two tight ends, though, in part because of the issues they're having at wide receiver, and particularly the bigger wide receivers. Uh, Gasicki's almost taken on the the role that like Preston Williams had. And obviously if Devontae Parker's out, um, it becomes all the more important for Gasicki to 
be a part of the passing game. Um, regardless, you're still going to see a good bit of Durham Smythe and Adam Shaheen on the field as well. Uh, and again, if they're going to put two tight ends on the field, you'll see even more. Um, all three of them last week had multiple catches against Kansas City, and Gesicki actually had five and two touchdowns. Uh, both of the touchdowns that the Tua threw went to Gesicki. Um, so, uh, whereas Chan Gailey's offense doesn't generally love to feature tight ends, um, and I still don't think it entirely will, but you're going to see the tight ends probably be productive. You're going to see them get targeted a, a solid amount in this game against the Patriots. Uh, skipping to running backs, it's a really weird situation. Uh, they have arguably their top two running backs, Miles Gaskin and Matt Breida, are both on the COVID-19 list. Um, they were last week as well, but I believe they both tested positive and they're not really expected to play. Um, that could change. Um, it, it Obviously, it always comes down to uh, when they start testing negative. And uh, at that point, it's just a, a, a short clock from there to them being able to be activated. It happened with like, Cam Newton even, for example. So there's a chance they play. But the longer we go without them testing negative, um, the less likely it's going to be that they play. I don't expect that they will. Um, they also released their their power back, their goal line back, really, Jordan Howard, uh, around the trade deadline. He's a guy that's actually had a pretty solid NFL career, but it's it's come to a screeching halt uh, really starting last year, the Dolphins uh, brought him in hoping to to regain what he'd been previously, and it just didn't happen at all. Um, they never really showed much of a commitment to him anyway, but it also, he didn't deserve one. Um, so those three guys are all either inactive or just not even on the roster anymore. Um, they also got one really good game out of... Um, rookie Savan Ahmed, uh, but he he got hurt as well. Um, well, he's actually the only one that got hurt, but he got hurt and didn't play last week. Don't entirely know what his status is this week, but um, it seems like he's certainly not a given to play. Um, if he doesn't, that's going to leave the Dolphins... Granted, they do have numbers at running back. They just, they do. They, they've they uh, traded for guys. You also have Bowden and Perry that can kind of double as wide receivers and running backs. So, but what they have at running back is Bowden, Perry, DeAndre Washington, who they traded for uh, right at the trade deadline, and Patrick Laird on the roster as running backs. Uh, none of those guys are big by any means, which is one of those, uh, again, Chan Gailey's staples. He doesn't really feature a power running game, uh, which may in fact be why Jordan Howard wound up not being a good fit. But yeah, none of those guys are over six feet even tall um, and or 204 pounds. Uh, they're mostly in the 5'10", 190 type of range. Uh, so small guys, uh, which uh, really just means the, the short... Um, short area, quickness, twitchy types of runners. Um, it's pretty much across the board with all the guys on that roster. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to, to make anything uh, really uh, project what's going to happen in the game. I would point out that, so DeAndre Washington uh, received over half of their carries last week and even Tua had six carries. So really, if you're talking just running back carries, he got 13 out of their 18. So a uh, pretty safe bet that he'll be the, uh, I guess, first and second down, for lack of a better way of putting it, runner. Um, 
he'll get he'll get the bulk of the carries is the bottom line um and he i mean he was on the field a solid bit too um it's kind of hard to to make much out of the snap counts because again they're kind of playing guys um all over the field um Patrick Laird was actually on the field 51% of the time, and he's really only lining up in the backfield. So you could almost argue that uh, he was slightly their majority running back. Uh, Washington, they could move around a little bit as a receiver too, flex him out wide a little bit. Um, Not as much as a guy like Bowden or Perry, but to a degree. Um, Like I said, Bowden had... uh, seven catches um he's on the field over 70 percent of their snaps so again they're, they're gonna use him in some role it's more a matter of what role uh, and i would expect that he'll occasionally line up in the backfield um just to uh just a a, a different kind of wrinkle for the patriots defense to account for um and perry last week uh, anyway, uh, Perry only touched the ball one time on a, a reception. It was on the field a decent amount, but they didn't really get the ball to him. Um, so I guess just, just looking at tendencies again, in terms of the running game, it's probably going to be DeAndre Washington. In a short yardage situation, it's probably going to be Patrick Laird, and he's going to be on the field a good amount anyway, but he's really only going to get the ball in short yardage situations. They'll use him as a blocker a little bit as well. Um, and other than that, I wouldn't worry too much about Perry. Definitely would worry about Bowden. You're just going to have to keep track of where he is on the field. Um, their offensive line is completely revamped. Uh, it's pretty remarkable. So they signed in the offseason uh, at guard Eric Flowers from Washington. Um, he had a, he had a really good year there last year, and it's pretty much translated this year. They also signed center Ted Karras from the Patriots. Uh, you recall he started with uh, David Andrews sidelined all season. Um, he's had a solid year as well. I know he's a team captain too. Um, part of that just being the the Brian Flores connection with him. Um, and they also drafted three linemen who have wound up becoming starters for them. Uh, their left tackle, Austin Jackson, they took in the first round. Their right tackle, Robert Hunt, they took in the second round. And their other guard, their right guard, Solomon Kindley, they took in the fourth round. Um, yeah, they, they overhauled the offensive line really quickly. And they've played well. Uh, the fa- it's it's helped them run the ball, frankly, as well as they have because, again, you don't really have power runners. You really have to... Uh, I mean, while those guys can be successful when they get in space, you do have to protect them a bit because they don't have the size to uh, take the the hits on, on, on free on free rushers into the backfield, um, they'll get crushed in those types of situations. So, I mean, the offensive line certainly held up in that respect, if nothing else. But overall, they've just uh, graded out really well. Um, they The protection of Fitzpatrick when he'd been the starter was certainly better than it had been last year. And uh, Tua's been protected pretty well, too. Um there's some development, I think, that needs to happen with Tua just in terms of getting the ball out quicker. Uh, that The pressure rate on him has been a little higher than it was with Fitzpatrick, and I think a lot of it has to do with that, trying to extend plays more than he should. But uh, given that somewhat flaw with Tua, uh, the fact that he's stayed as clean as he has uh, is a testament to the Dolphins' offensive line. Um, I guess moving to the defense... Um, it's a very Patriots-like defense, which makes sense because Brian Flores, again, was a longtime Patriots assistant. Uh, their current defensive coordinator, uh, Josh Boyer, who was just elevated to that position last year after being their cornerbacks coach or maybe defensive backs coach. I don't recall off the top of my head now. But 
either way, uh, he was a guy that for, again, a long time was with the Patriots. Uh, most of Belichick's tenure with the Patriots, I think, Boyer had been on that staff. Same with Flores. So obviously they're, they're going to recycle a lot of what they learned from, from New England. Um, yeah, it's just it's reflected in a lot of ways. Um, look at the defensive line to start off. Um, they're featuring at nose tackle is Raquan Davis and um, at defensive end, a uh, three, four defensive end. So he'll play some tack- defensive tackle as well. He'll even bump inside a nose tackle at times. But Christian Wilkins from Clemson. Um, I, I certainly follow college football. I don't necessarily focus on defensive linemen. But the fact that they went to Alabama and Clemson did allow me to see a good bit of them and get a good sense of what they are. Um, they, they were solid there for sure. Uh, they were both taken in the first two rounds of the draft, Davis in the second, Wilkins in the first. Um, I mean, it makes sense. And those are the types of, they have the type of, of pedigree coming from those programs that they're winning cultures. And uh, while that's sometimes overblown that coming from a really good team doesn't mean that you're going to be a really good player at the next level. But they're also just really productive there. They were leaders there. Wilkins in particular, there's a, he, he was a great story at Clemson actually. Um, just um, a lot of the extracurricular stuff he did um, was really impressive. I don't know as much with that about Davis, but I, I know that he certainly wasn't, a um a, a negative culturally um and he, i mean he he popped on film as well in his last year cuz they had a lot of defensive tackles before that kind of uh, buried him on the depth chart a little bit but um yeah they they're really good players they came from really good programs uh you know they're going to do the little things they need to do to win um that's uh, that's the attitude they really want up front. Um, that's what they've gotten from them. Um, the other guy, I guess, that I'll, I'll highlight up front is Emmanuel Ogba. Um, he's a guy that's another guy, really, that's bounced around the league a little bit, um, in part because he's a kind of weird size. He's like 6'4", 275, or something along those lines. So he's a little bit like Dietrich Wise in that he doesn't exactly have a positional fit. Like he's too big to be a, a, a standard defensive end, and he's not really big enough to be a defensive tackle. Um, part of what, um, what makes Miami such a good fit is, again, similar to Dietrich Wise. And even if you think back to when the Patriots had Trey Flowers, that might be the better comp um, in, in a lot of ways, the, the Patriots find ways to, 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 to create a fit for those guys. And, and part of it has to do with the, um, the, the lack, almost lack of a scheme in some sense that they have. They'll, they'll just, they'll vary their defensive fronts a lot. Like there are situations where you can play like a two-man defensive line, Agba's one of those guys, and he can handle it because he's bigger than, say, they put a defensive end out there, uh, like in a pass rush situation. They'll just put a bunch of rushers out there. He'll be the biggest guy inside, and they'll bring so much heat that it really doesn't matter that he's a little undersized. Um, you can also put him at defensive end um, and just let him, uh, frankly, kind of bully an offensive tackle that doesn't expect such a big guy to be on him at least at times you're not going to you're you're going to vary where he lines up is the bottom line and you're going to kind of have him play different roles at times and that seems to make it work i don't entirely understand how that happens but the patriots have done it pretty consistently with guys like flowers wise um there've been various guys that they've done it with in the past and it's really what flores is doing with ogba with the dolphins he leads the team with 8 sacks through 13 games so he'll end up most likely hitting double-digit sacks. Um, that's something he hadn't sniffed up until this year. So they've definitely found more than a role for him. He, he's he's really thrived on this defense. Um, 
I guess going to their their edge defenders, because um, I kind of isolated them because whereas a lot of the time with the the Patriots you kind of just have linebackers that are kind of just versatile can play pretty much anywhere. It's a little different with the Dolphins. Obviously, Kyle Van Noy, the former Patriot, fits that bill to an extent. He like he could play inside if they wanted him to, but at the end of the day, he's going to really just play the role that he played most of his time with the Patriots, which is as that um, an outside linebacker, almost hybrid defensive end, really. They'll, they'll play him at or near the line of scrimmage uh, almost exclusively. And he's really his main assignment is really just to set a firm edge, um, just keep outside contained. It's not necessarily about generating pressure. Um, I, I don't say that to make an excuse for the guy if he doesn't uh, get into the backfield and generate pressure on the quarterback. That's literally his role is to almost just be a spy on the defense. Um, that's what he was in New England. That's kind of what he's doing now too. He actually does lead the team with ten and a half tackles for loss which is a testament to how good he is when they do deploy him that way. But that's not really the way they generally use him. Uh, he's also just a leader on that defense because obviously he was that way under Flores with the Patriots. And now um, just in terms of setting the culture there, he's he's a consistent voice with Flores uh, with um, a bunch of guys that, that Flores didn't have experience with. So, I mean, naturally, you're, you're going to keep your own guy that already was kind of a leader anyway in that leadership role. He's, he's, a, t- he's a team captain there. He's, he's been a, a vocal leader there as well. Um, the other guy I wanted to touch on quick is Shaq Lawson, another Clemson guy who had kind of struggled early in his career with Buffalo. Um, he's found a little more of a role with the Dolphins. Um, the sacks and tackles for loss types of numbers aren't entirely there. Um, he's not, he's not the feature, a feature guy on that, um, defensive front, uh, anyway, but he's, he's looked better. Like just watching him play, he's looked better. He has the ability to become, to to play in his role and to become a problem if you attack him thinking that he just can't stop you because he he's, he can't um he he's he seems to be a better fit um I don't entirely know why it is but maybe it's just development but he's he's playing well too um it's pretty true for the entire defense the defense is just um it's really impressive it's not again it's not a huge name defense but um, in terms of guys that have um, that are super established in the league across the board, although there is a unit where that is a little more true, um, I haven't gotten there yet though. Um, in terms of the other linebackers, the more inside linebackers, the traditional stand-up linebackers, not edge rushers, um, I could start with a Landon Roberts because he's another former Patriot, so he's kind of another carrier of that that Patriot way on the defense. Uh, he's he's been playing well. Um, he's not really the leader inside. Um, that's been more so Jerome Baker uh, leads the team with eighty nine tackles, but uh, Roberts has certainly played well. Um, certainly deserves to be a starter there. It's not just because he's a Patriot. Uh, he's he's played well. Um, that said, they do have other guys that they rotate in. Um, there's, um, they're quicker guys too, frankly. Uh, whether it's an Andrew Van Ginkle, which is one of the more fun names to say, by the way. And another one, Kamu Gruye Hill. Um, they're smaller, they're quicker. Um, they do have the ability to tackle and all of that. Like they're, you're not giving up tackling necessarily. Um, you're you're not losing in terms of run defense, uh, but they do have more speed. Can play in pass coverage a bit. Um, they they they're better at just running around the field than Roberts, who is more so a downhill tackler, and he's good at that. But it it really just depends on on um situations which guys you want on the field essentially. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of versatility. There are a lot of guys that they're comfortable with playing is the, the main point that I want to make there. The secondary is, and particularly the cornerbacks, are very good. Xavier Howard leads the league with nine interceptions. He is on a five-game streak, I believe, as well, uh, with an interception in each game. Um, they also signed Byron Jones from the Cowboys in the offseason, paid him mighty handsomely. They actually gave Xavier Howard uh, a fat contract extension as well. Um, so they're paying those guys, but even so, uh, they're they're playing up to the contract. Um, so it's hard to throw on this team. And like I said, they're already solid um, in terms of really everywhere else on the defense, whether it's the defensive line, they're going to generate some pressure there with the edge guys as well. And then at linebacker, they have versatility, flexibility. Uh, those guys are playing really well. The corners are really what make that defense so, uh, at times, dominant, frankly. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to throw on them. Howard in particular, but you don't want to throw on Jones really either. Uh, a lot of their targets, the targets um, for um, offenses to go up against them, get funneled to the slot. Logically, um, they in the first round they drafted out of Auburn Noah Igbenogany. Uh, I almost say that just because I like to show off that I know how to say the name Noah Igbenogany. Um, but uh, yeah, he he's an athlete. I did some work on on cornerbacks during the draft process. To be honest, I I've ranked a bunch of guys. Uh, he was my number nine cornerback in that draft, and they took him in the back end of the first round. So that should give you a decent sense that they kind of reached a little bit. I know why they did it. Um, he's a little, he's raw, and they. Pro- I'm assuming at least that they knew that, but there's also a lot of upside with him. He, he's a really athletic guy, um, hasn't been playing for all that long. Um, there's just... There's development that was going to have to happen. They actually tried to throw him on the field to start the season, and they kind of got it. Kind of got exploited. Uh, teams were able to target the slot and move the ball by just throwing there, um, and not really worrying about going after Howard and Jones. Um, so Igbenogany has actually gotten benched. Uh, he plays very sparingly on defense now. Um, and they've kind of mixed and matched with uh, who they put in the slot. Uh, just in terms of at safety, another former Patriot, Eric Rowe, has been starting at strong safety. He'd actually been a cornerback back with the Patriots. Uh, they've moved him to strong safety, and they have a vet, another veteran, Bobby McCain, at free safety. McCain, they actually use a decent bit in the slot, Um Again, it's kind of matchup dependent who they put where, but McCain is arguably their most frequent slot cornerback. Um, I won't really get into the other depth guys after that, whether it's in the slot or at McCain's vacated free safety spot. Um, I really just wanted to touch on those main guys, but yeah, the defense is really good too. Um, get into special teams quick, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it um, because. It's special teams. It's not as flashy, but it's still important, so I want to touch on it. Um, Their punter, Matt Hawk, I believe, Um, he hasn't been great. He's good at uh, downing the ball where you got to down it inside the 20-yard line. Uh, That's that's a a general uh, goal for any punter is to get the ball there. He's top 10 in that category. Um, The better guy in terms of the kicking game is... Uh, definitely Jason Sanders, who I have on my fantasy team, by the way. Picked him up uh, about a month ago because he'd just been really consistent. But so he's converted on 60 of his 62 kicks. Uh, he's 30 for 30 on extra points. He's only missed two out of 32 field goal attempts. He's also 8 for 8 from 50 or more yards, which, I mean, Wow. 
Like, I don't know what else to say. That's just not, that's not normal. Uh, the guy's got a big leg, and it's an accurate leg. Um, that He's got the makings of being one of the best kickers in the league for quite a while. Uh, he's he's young right now, but uh, he's got staying power for sure. Um, in terms of kick returns, it's normally Jakeem Grant. But like I said, Jakeem Grant is most likely not going to play. Uh, what that's going to mean is, I mean, they're going to have to figure something else out because it's been almost exclusively Grant for kicks and punts all season. Uh, when Grant left with injury on Sunday... Antonio Callaway, the wide receiver, returned two punts. I would assume that he just stays in that role uh, going forward if if Grant can't go. Um, they didn't, and I'm sure there was someone on the field in the um, the kick returner spot um, during the game. I I didn't catch it who it was. Um, and they didn't wind up having to return a kickoff because they're all just touchbacks. So there's nothing statistically there to, to point me in the direction of who the guy would be. Um, the only other guy who by design has returned a kickoff at all this season is um, Noah Igbenogany. Again, really athletic guy. So if they want to find him a role really somewhere, uh, they could do it at kick returner. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily what they'll do. They have other guys. Lynn Bowden jumps out at me as a guy that could potentially uh, play that role. Uh, obviously, I don't know if they want to do that, if he's too involved on offense. If they're going to have him on the field all the time on offense, they, they may just not want to put him out on special teams. In addition to that, just uh, injury risk, uh, especially with how thin they are at running back and wide receiver. Um, they just they might not want to risk it. Um, same deal with Malcolm Perry. Uh, he's got the ability to do it. I don't know if they'll want to, although I don't think he'll be on the field as much. So that's, uh, if it's not Igbenogany, it might be Perry. Um, I, I'm going to guess Igbenogany, but I'm, I'll reassess that once I get a better sense of for sure whether Grant's going to play. And then... Uh, can put some thought into it, frankly. Um, yeah, overall, the Dolphins, again, are a really good team. They're 8-5. and five. It's not a fluke. Uh, they're really carried by the defense. But, I mean, if you think about it, the Patriots, um, there are years where the Patriots are carried by the defense. Uh, last year, uh, for example, for much of the season, uh, the offense wasn't great. Um, it was better early in the year than later after some... Uh, whether it was injuries, uh, getting rid of some guys for various reasons that I don't want to get into right now. Uh, they're a little hot button. But um, the offense wasn't always great. The defense was. So that's really what the Dolphins are doing right now. Um, and the offense isn't bad. It's honestly really interesting. Um, it's it's not normal. Um, <laughs> there There are a lot of hybrid types of players, again, uh, small running backs as well. Um, a lot of youth, really, pretty much across the board. Um, that's something that I find really interesting to follow. Uh, it's guys you don't know a whole lot about and whether they fit great on offense. And then the defense, again, uh, can be dominant. Um, so it's a tough test for the Patriots. Dolphins being 8-5, and five, the Patriots are 6-7. and seven. So... I mean, weird as it sounds, the Dolphins are the better team here. Um, and I'm obviously not getting into matchup stuff right now. I'll save that for later in the week. But I will just leave you with um, somewhat of an appetizer, I guess, for that episode. Uh, just to keep in mind that Bill Belichick is 21-5 and as head coach of the Patriots against rookie quarterbacks. Now, obviously, most teams with rookie quarterbacks don't have as good a defense as the Dolphins do, but it's mainly to make the point that Belichick knows how to stop rookie quarterbacks, and that includes the highly touted ones. Um, whether it's, I mean, Sam Darnold was a super high pick, Josh Allen, same thing, 
um, Lamar Jackson. Although, yeah, Lamar Jackson in the playoffs. Um, there have been a numerous guys, uh, Justin Herbert just recently, that he's uh, guys that are really talented that he, that he's he's stopped. So uh, just just keep it in mind. Um, that's all I really am going to get into in terms of matchups, though. I'm going to save that for my next episode, which will come out Saturday morning. Um, but uh, that's all for this episode. As always, I will have a written article accompany this episode that um, you can find this uh, episode um embedded into on my blog site and I'll also link the article to this episode's notes and description. Um, if you want to find my blog and also potentially subscribe to it because I do have a lot of really insightful Patriot stuff, but just in general to find it uh, either way, it's smnewman48.wixsite.com dot com slash sports with Steven. Uh, obviously, you can find all my Patriots content there. There's a lot there. Um, it's where my Patriots content will continue to be in the future. Um, check it out if you haven't already. Um, if you like this podcast episode, past episodes, uh, just like to listen to the types of things that I say and share on these episodes. Uh, you can and should subscribe to the Pat's Cast wherever you listen to it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, list goes on. It's out pretty much anywhere. Uh, share the uh, the news with your friends that this podcast, if you enjoy it, um, let them know. Uh, the more people we can get listening to the podcast, uh, the further we can take it. Same goes for uh, leaving a rating and review on the podcast wherever you listen to it. Uh, Five-star ratings are great, and the more feedback I get, the further I can go with the podcast, Um, the better I can make the podcast as well. Um, And if you want to follow me more directly, um, the best spot would be on Twitter, at NewmanPatsCast, that's N-E-W-M-A-N-P-A-T-S-C-A-S-T. That's going to wrap up this episode, though. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. And I will be back on Saturday morning with another episode and an article to go with it. Until then, go Patriots. Thanks so much for listening.